ultimately, um, you know, I felt that it was the best decision to um, move our our team forward was to make the decision to to not bring Coach Dickinson back. Um, you know, our head our our search for the new head coach of the Rough Riders will will start immediately, um, and uh, you know that process will happen over the next number of weeks. That's right, that was the news out of Saskatchewan. Don't worry, Riders fans, we will break that down on this episode of the podcast. Welcome to the Waggle, and welcome to the final week of the CFL regular season where we get that kind of news, you know? Hey, this is the time of year, it man. Is, it time is. It's not very pleasant, but it's the reality. You are either getting ready to go to the postseason or having a reckoning for the fact that you are not in the postseason. We'll talk about that later. Actually, Dave Naylor will join us to break down all of the news around the league at this time. And that news is your riders parting ways with head coach Craig Dickinson. They extend vice president of football ops and GM Jeremy O'Day. So Naylor will let us know what the future might look like in Riderville. We'll also talk about the immediate future when it comes to CFL football. And that's the playoffs. The field is set. We are fired up for it. We're going to recap week 19. We had uh, three games there. So we'll put a bow on that. Look forward to the six playoff teams as we look to start our postseason prep. That includes the Calgary Stampeders. Looked bleak. Looked memphleek. But they got in. They locked up their final playoff spot to extend their playoff appearance streak to 18 years. There are young CFL fans who have never seen a CFL playoff without the stamps in it, and they aren't going to this year. They punched their ticket, which means the Riders have been eliminated, thus the changes that they've already made. So we will do a, a tribute to the year that they had, maybe the, the positive aspects of what that year was now that that year is officially dead uh, we, we did the same for the elks and the red blacks as you know so we'll, we'll put the rider season to bed and look forward and of course we'll have enox dog of the week rush, rush. that's right from week 20 and we'll preview week 21 which includes a really interesting matchup in montreal with the tie cats coming to town given that those two teams are very familiar and they're going to get familiar over the next two weeks we'll talk about what maybe the implications for that team's uh, individual outlook and depth chart might be going into the postseason, whether it's a regular season or postseason, you know where you can find us. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CFL.ca, and some clips on YouTube when we do something that's worthy for you to see with a video. The Dave Naylor conversation is always worthy. Let's catch up with the CFL Insider right now. So we have Dave Naylor joining us. And I, CFL Insider is not even appropriate because you're much more than that. I guess North American Football Insider at this point is recovering all levels of the sport. But we want to touch in on the Canadian version of the game first because uh, my playing days were a long, 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 long time ago. But every coach I ever had said at the beginning of the season, we want to play our best football at the end. And somehow the riders back-to-back years managed 
to lose seven straight to end the year in a league where tanking isn't really a thing. It's not like, you know, they're in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. So two-part question, how, how did we get here? How, how did this happen for a team that was going for it? And why do we have the same leader of football ops but a new head coach? Yeah, I mean, the first one is stunning. I mean, you know, it's hard to isolate any instance where you can find a team that went 0-14 under this banner. But the fact that it is, you know, there are still people, I, I don't believe this, but there are people that still say, you know, the real CFL season starts at Labor Day. And if you're one of those people who believes that, that means they're 0-14 in the real season. I mean, I think last year you had you had kind of a, a loss of faith around Cody Fajardo. You could see, you know, he could feel the loss of faith around him. I mean, it was an unusual situation when they sat him for a meaningful game at the end of the year, right, and went with Mason Fine. And that was the writing on the wall for Cody Fajardo. But it was it was like it just sort of snowballed on them. So I, in, in terms of this season, like I say, I'm, I'm not a guy who's all about, you know, stats or analytics, but I think there are some, some key fundamental stats that you can find that, that really – correlate with winning and losing. And when you look at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you know, getting to the quarterback last, right? L allowing teams to get to the quarterback last. Uh, second down conversions last. Turnovers last. I mean, I don't think you could find a football team in any league that could be the bottom in those three categories and have a winning season. And, and so, I mean, it was almost fitting at the end of the year where, you know, they had a chance down to Toronto late, they've got time, they've got they've got possession, and it ends on a turnover. And it was just, you know, there were so many instances where they they needed a play and they couldn't. And it was it was happening on both sides of the ball. It was funny, you know, Jeremy O'Day had said yesterday that, you know, he was asked, are you looking for an offensive or defensive-minded coach? And he said, yeah, sometimes you want to go out and get a head coach that has a strength on the side of the ball where you're weakest. And they said, well, we have problems on both sides of the ball, whether it was the offensive line and quarterback protection or difficulty running the football or on the defensive side of the ball where, again, trouble getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. I mean, they have a very young secondary, uh, which is, you know, that's that's part of what you get when you, when you play young secondary, but they gave up a ton of yards, uh, couldn't stop anybody in critical situations. They, there, was, there was lots of issues on both sides of the ball. And, I guess that's how you can lose seven games in a row. It, it still is astounding. And, you know, a few of those games were close. I mean, you look at the Calgary game two weeks ago. I mean, they dominated it, but then the turnovers undid them. And, you know, then you get a game against Toronto where, you know, they. I, I will give them this. And I thought they played with more effort. There was better tackling. It, there wasn't like a, a sort of malaise around the team. Like sometimes there seemed to be down the stretch. And yet, you know, against you know, Toronto played a fair number. I don't want to call it the Argonauts B team, but they were playing the backup quarterback at the end of the game. And, you know, in a situation where they needed one defensive stand to keep their playoff hopes alive at home against the backup quarterback of the Toronto Argonauts, they couldn't get a stop. You know, they got them to third and 10, but they couldn't get a stop. But as we all know, football comes down to a handful of critical plays sometimes. And that was one of those days. So, um, and then, Look, I think we all knew Craig Dickinson was going for a walk, right? That that there's no way that somebody doesn't pay a price for that one. But I, I'm I'll be honest, I was a little surprised that Jeremy O'Day got retained just because you know losing seven in a row down the stretch is is a pretty remarkable accomplishment in, in the negative. And 
Under the CFL's salary cap system for coaches and management, we know how punitive it can be that, you know, you get a mulligan, but after your mulligan, you're going to have to eat some salary. And we saw Edmonton get into trouble with some of that. And, and it really, really affects what you can do in the future when you grow out in hiring and managing the cap, that it almost incentivizes teams that if a guy gets to the end of his contract and you've had a down year, or in this case, a couple of down years, it almost incentivizes you to get rid of them. But if you give Jeremy O'Day a three-year contract and the riders suck next year, you know, that's, that's hard because if you, if you want to get rid of them, unless there's some, you know, creativity in the termination language, like Edmonton did with the Chris Jones deal, you're going to have to eat a couple of years of salary. And the other part of it, and this is a kind of a slippery slope, but you never want the fans to dictate what you do, but you can't ignore them completely. And that game on Saturday, that was 12 degrees in Regina. That was blue sky and sun. We know that rider games, you know, it's not like nobody knows the riders are playing. When riders are playing, everybody knows. And I don't know what the actual attendance was in that crowd, but I mean, I, I, I would suggest that's probably one of the smallest crowds, if not the crowd, smallest crowd they've ever had at Mosaic Stadium. And if you look at the fan reaction to bringing Jeremy O'Day back, I mean, I was watching that news conference yesterday live on Instagram, and the, the, the fans are scrolling comments across the bottom. And I know fans are cheeky and they'll do that, but I also was checking out a rider uh, Facebook page yesterday, and they're talking about organizing a protest. I mean, <laughs> the reaction to this, let's just say, has not been positive. You talk about how empty the stadium was. I was there in person, and I've never really seen Mosaic Stadium, especially New Mosaic, as empty as it was. Now, before we get into your suggestion as far as who you think should be the coach to kind of fill that stadium up again, when we look at Coach Dickinson, right, and, and I, he's coached me for a few years, multiple times in Winnipeg as well as in Saskatchewan, and he's a very, mu he's very much a special teams coordinator and 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 knows his stuff inside out. Is it is it okay? Because you mentioned, you know, how everybody knew that Cody Fajardo was not going to stay there, and obviously the arrival of Trevor Harris didn't you know, pan out the way that they thought. And you saw Fod and you saw uh, finally uh, Dola Gala didn't necessarily do enough to obviously push him into the playoffs. But in your opinion, is that an excuse enough for Coach Dickinson um, as we assess his time out there in Saskatchewan? It's funny because I think that that is always, when you lose your starting quarterback in football, things can really change dramatically. And, and as you guys know, I have to generate a fair amount of content on CFL. So I'm always playing with different ideas. Sometimes I get an idea in my head and I'll do some research on it and it'll turn into a segment, right? Um, and sometimes I do some research and I'm like, well, oh, it's not really there. And about two or three weeks ago, I was doing something trying to see what the correlation was between teams that lose their starting quarterback and the teams that miss the playoffs. And it wasn't as high as I thought it was. Like Ottawa would be the example, right? They lost... Jeremiah Mazzoli last year, and then they lost Jeremiah Mazzoli this year. And you go back in previous years when they lost Matt Nichols, and they, they would be an example of a team that has you know, been derailed, certainly, by losing their quarterbacks during the first third of the season. But beyond that, um, there, there are you know, a few teams that have, there, there isn't really that direct correlation. So I, I'm not to suggest that that's not a big, big loss when you go from a 37-year-old Trevor Harris, you know, a guy who has been able to play healthy through most of his career, a guy who's, you know, a, an experienced passer, uh, 
uh, a guy who, who you know has been has delivered delivered a, a level of consistency throughout his career to Mason Fine and then Jake Dalagala. And I think the problem with those guys, and it and it can be said about a lot of the young quarterbacks in this league that people seem to get high on and then they get low on and they get high on and they well, they're high variance players. That's what you get when you get young quarterbacks. They're going to go out and throw for you know 320 and give you three touchdowns and one interception the next week. And a couple weeks later, they're going to throw for 158 and throw and have two interceptions and no touchdown. That's what you get with young quarterbacks. I think guys like Jake Dalagala, you know, could be really good starting quarterbacks in this league by maybe 2025, right? But we know there's an internship period. Other than the exceptional, exceptional players, most quarterbacks in this league need to be part-time players, need to be backups before they're going to going to excel. So, you know, that's that that I think is is part of. Uh, it is it, certainly a big part of what happened in Saskatchewan. There's no question because you just get a, a level of variance in the, in the quarterback play that is as opposed to Trevor, who whether, you know, there are people that love Trevor Harris and people that maybe don't, but, but he does give you a certain level of consistency and that's why he's been in the league so long. And when he got hurt, that did kind of change their season. And, you know, and back to O'Day for a second, just a couple more thoughts on that. I guess if I was to make the case for why you would keep Jeremy O'Day, I would go to two things. One is that, the roster as he constructed it was good enough to get this team, you know, to 500 or better to Labor Day two years in a row. And then the back third of the schedule wasn't. And you could say, well, okay, when we had a healthy roster, you know, we, we were, we were a playoff team and we got to the back half of the schedule, we had some injuries, but injuries is a bit of a cop out in football. You guys know it, right? Every team has injuries. There's no team that has you know, some more injuries are more critical than other, but, you know, I've never heard a team that had a bad season that didn't cite injuries. But then you could look at it maybe and say, well, when you get to the back third of the schedule, is that coaching, right? Because you're, you're, you're talking about in football, you're always developing your team. Your team in week one is not what it is in week 18. And it's part of the coach's job. It is the coach's job to, to kind of evolve, your, help your talent evolve and get your team get better. So you can see the argument why you could at least hang that on the coach and say, hey, we were six and five. We finished six and 12. That's more on the coaching staff than the GM. And the other one is that the only coach that Jeremy O'Day was able to hire was Craig Dickinson. And that's because in January of 2019, Chris Jones went out the side door to the Cleveland Browns. You know, when you're in mid-January, you cannot do an open coaching search. You're almost, you're almost you know, forced to promote from within. Uh, and that's what the writers did. So, you know, there is always this sense that, hey, every GM should – get be allowed to hire a coach whoever he wants and the only coach that jeremy o'day got to hire was craig dickinson but he wasn't able to do an open coaching search because that was in january of 19 when chris jones went out the side door to the nfl and because of the calendar you, you can't do an open coaching search in january because teams other teams aren't going to let their guys go you, you know they, they, there's there's dates and that where you know teams can say sorry we're not gonna let you interview because you're committed to us for this coming season so jeremy o'day didn't get that opportunity. We'll never know whether Craig Dickinson, maybe he would have promoted Craig Dickinson anyway. Who knows? But we'll never know. But this time, Jeremy is going to get that opportunity to hire a coach, which I say, that's that's kind of one of those unwritten rules maybe in, in the administration of football. A GM should get at least one opportunity to hire whoever he wants. And maybe that's part of the rationale in this case. I know that, you know, from from listening to, to Craig Reynolds, the writer's president, he was big on stability. Um, you know, that's again, that that can cut both ways, but but he's leaning in on this one. Whether there are coordinators that have put themselves 
in the equation, coaches from other leagues, recycled uh, former head coaches. Who do you th expect to be some of the hot candidates for this jobs or, or jobs that might pop up between now and uh, the offseason? Well, I think you'd, you'd I'll throw out a few names that I think one, one an obvious one would be Scott Milanovic. I mean, you know, in terms of resume, no one's going to touch his, right? Offensive coordinator, head coach, Grey Cup champion, uh, experience in the National Football League with two teams. Uh, you know, that's, that's and, and Scott is obviously working in the league right now. That's one of the good things is you're not having to bring him back from the NFL where he hasn't been around the CFL and doesn't know the personnel and that he's, he's been in the league. Uh, having been at first sort of as a consultant role with Hamilton and now as their OC. So I think any list for a, for a coaching vacancy this season is, is probably going to start with Scott Milanovic. Uh, I think, I think Mark Killam, you know, the special teams coach in Calgary, who I think was not that far from getting the Edmonton job when it went to Chris Jones. And, and part of that was because they needed somebody who could do both jobs. Uh, I, th I think he's probably a name. Uh, Buck Pierce, I think when you look at the, the success that Winnipeg has had on offense you know, consistently over the last few years uh, is, is another guy who is probably ready to be a head coach. Um, and I would say, Enoch, your defensive coordinator, Corey Mace. Uh, I know he was a finalist for the Ottawa job last year. Uh, you know, Corey's, of course, player in the league, defensive line coach, and hasn't been a coordinator that long. But uh, I know he's somebody who's held in very high regard by players in this league. Uh, you know, had a great CFL career, played a little bit in the National Football League, uh, and, and has really, I mean, just look at that defense in Toronto. Uh, you know, they have great personnel, but he's certainly getting the most out of that personnel as a defensive coordinator. So that's another name I would, I would throw in the mix. Absolutely. So you talk about new coach that needs to come in, that is going to come in. Jeremy O'Day finally gets to do his coaching search. Uh, Dave, uh, this word always gets thrown around when you get a new team or when you get new coaching staff or a new staff period on a team. Is this a rebuild year? When would you say that? You know, rebuild is, is kind of a strange word in the CFL because sometimes like in, in the NFL where you're building primarily through the draft, you can make the argument for a rebuild where a coach might get three or four seasons to do it. Right. In the CFL, we, we primarily build teams through street free agents and CFL free agency. I think those are the primary ways you know, you're signing Americans, you know, who've been, who've been in the NFL or coming out of college, you're signing Canadians uh, through the February free agency process and the draft kind of supplements that. And, and, you know, a lot of the players you're drafting, especially through the back end of the Canadian draft are guys that are primarily going to be special teams players for you. They don't necessarily project as starters and offensive defense. So as a result, you know, you, you shrink the clock. It goes from, you know, sort of a three or four window year window to more of a one and a half to two and a half year window. I mean, you know, Chris Jones is an interesting situation. He's missed the playoffs two years in a row as head coach and GM. Not that many guys would get a third. And this is what Paul Lapolice said sitting next to me on the panel the other day that if you're in the CFL and you're coaching and you missed the playoffs two years in a row, you're probably not going to get a third. And, and that's certainly the case of Craig Dickinson. It was the case of Paul Epelis. And, and I, so, so rebuild's a tough word in the CFL. And I think also the thing is that when you start talking about rebuild, you're talking about a team that's missed the playoffs two years in a row. So what you look at that fan base and what you saw on Saturday, Enoch, in that crowd, does that look like a fan base that is strapped in for a rebuild? I would say no. And 
So, now you, now again, the good news is you do have a starting quarterback. The problem is he's 38. And while Trevor Harris has not been susceptible to injuries you know, throughout his career, I, I, everybody knows you're 38, you take hits differently than when you were 28. And the closer you get to 40, you know, the more that, that can become an issue, and especially an if you, issue if you can't protect him. So I, I don't think the Riders and, – and I know that philosophically Craig Reynolds, the team president, does not believe that this is a rebuild, that he said that he believes they have a core players that they can build off of, and he thinks they have good Canadians and, and such and some good young Canadians. And, and I, I will say that they are young still. I mean, they, they are a team that, that does – and that's probably part of why what we saw happen this year, you know, other than a quarterback, of course – uh, the, why some of the variance we saw in them this year was probably related to you know the inexperience on that roster. So no, I, I don't think I, I think the Riders will come out next year determined to be a playoff team, and rather than taking the longer view where you know the new head coach, especially with the GM, like sometimes you bring in a GM, that's easier to do a rebuild, right? And that's what Chris Jones did when he went into Edmonton, right? He went in after Brock Sunderland and he gutted the roster. That was a rebuild, right? But Chris had the keys to the kingdom. He had a four-year contract. He's head coach. He's GM. If anybody was able to execute a rebuild plan, it was Chris Jones because of the circumstances and the roles that he held. When you when the GM is a holdover, that's a lot harder to sell a rebuild because if the roster is so bad that we needed a rebuild, well, why do we keep the GM? So. I, I don't think you're looking. I don't think philosophically you're going to be looking at a rebuild in Saskatchewan. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the approaches are across the league in the coming weeks. Edmonton and Ottawa both missing the playoffs for multiple years. Calgary and Hamilton, the bar in those organizations is not just making the playoffs; it's advancing. So we'll be tuned to your X account. I almost said Twitter. Uh, and your hits uh, on television as well, as I know you'll be breaking news on what the rosters and what the front offices look like. Thanks so much for this, Dave. Dave Naylor broke down all of the implications for the Riders and what that team might look like moving forward, both on the field and on the sideline. We put the seasons of the Red Blacks and Elks to bed before, so let's reflect on what the season was like in 2023 for the Riders, understanding that you know people aren't too happy with the way the season ended in back-to-back years, seven consecutive losses. But there are some things that maybe you can hold on to, some positives, some foundation that you could build upon. So, Riders families, we got you three things to maybe put your anxiety at ease. And... We'll start with receiving core. Receiving core. Had a breakout of a couple guys with some big years, went for 1K. That's right. Coming into the season already, you knew that in Saskatchewan, you have a stud Canadian wide receiver in Keen Schaefer Baker. But this year, we saw the addition of Samuel Emelis and Sean Bain Jr., who both went on to have 1,000 yards this season. And so it wasn't all dark for Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but these were bright spots that. Hopefully, um, Ryder fans can look forward to uh, next year. And um, these guys, if they are put in the right system, DB, I think can actually start lighting up scoreboards. So, in the Prairies, they're built different. 
there's a couple games that everyone gets up for. I remember covering in the NHL the Calgary Flames and the Oilers. I was out there doing a story last year, and they were you know jockeying for position in the playoffs and whatnot. But I remember talking to someone who worked for the team, and they're like, yeah, we need to get in. We need to play better. But at least we beat the other guys. At least we beat our rival. Does that play in football in the CFL in the prairies? Because the Riders, like, it seems a thousand, like a thousand years ago. But they do have the memory of the Labor Day Classic and that feud they have with the Winnipeg. I mean, you want to be better, but if you just want to be petty, at least you, you ruin their parade on the big day. Is that something that they can hold that, well, you know what? We won the classic. We've got that over you. Uh, you it's, it's a tricky one, DB, because Labor Day Classic is the rivalry of all rivalries between the Saskatchewan Fighters and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Now, obviously, I think in the moment, DB, I'll say this, in the moment, around that time, it doesn't matter what the team is doing, how the team is doing at the time, if they're doing well, if they're doing terribly um, at the time. You All you want to do is win that game, that particular game. But once you get to this part of the season, at the end of the season, you look back, yeah, you're happy about that win, but I don't think it's something that the Ryder fans are going to say, hey, we, we, we had a good season. Not necessarily, but at the end of the day, like I said, in the moment, that's all that matters. That's all everybody is talking about. But now uh, that the moment has passed and we're at the end of the season, uh, it's a bright spot. It's definitely a bright spot since, especially considering the fact that Winnipeg Blue Bombers are still, you know, one of the top teams in the CFL. Uh, so you look back at that and you look at a team that, you know, potentially uh, could do some damage the following year. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's still a lot of improvement that the fans in Ryderville are expecting. Yeah, that's how losers think is what I believe. If you are USC, Notre Dame, you're like, at least we beat the other guys. Or you are in U Sports, Waterloo, Laurier, at least we beat the other guys. The goal is to beat everybody. Yeah, goal is to beat everybody and get into the playoffs. And and maybe the fans might that have that. That was an exciting day, and you, you've got that. You know, if you got a friend on the other side, you can needle them about that. But when you talk about in those buildings, the people whose jobs are on the line, and let's remove the players, even the coaches, their families, their kids in school, whatnot. What's their future going to be? People, football ops, people with communications, people on the on the strength staff, people that are doing you know food and beverage. All those people's livelihood depends on this team performing, performing well. Hopefully, getting into the postseason, getting you know some additional revenue, a potential home playoff date. So people don't care about Labor Day Classic. That's just another game to them. So for me, it's great that you played well, but almost, what are we saying in football? Once you show me a standard. You got to maintain it. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, the last two years to end the season, they have not been able to maintain it. Every coach says, we want to be playing our best football at the end of the year. Absolutely. Unfortunately, this team wasn't able to do it, but... As you mentioned, they've got that receiving core. Uh, they, they were able to have a young QB learn on the job, so that will give them a little bit more experience in that position moving forward. We'll see what that looks like next year. We, we saw what a bunch of CFL teams going to the playoffs looked like this year, this week. It was a busy week 20, even though there were three games. All of them really had some interesting storylines and implications 
as we mentioned, the Stamps punch their ticket to get into the postseason, playing real mistake-free football, beat the Lions 41-16 in Vancouver on Friday Night Football, a game that you'd think BC needed because they were still pushing for a one seed. A real weird game for me. Vern Adams Jr. gets pulled mid-game, saying it wasn't a, a health issue, but they don't want to risk him further, and they're going to put Dane in. There was an ejection on the BC side, double-digit penalties uh, on their side, six 15-yard penalties. Calgary, for once, didn't beat themselves, and BC, for once, did. For you, I was more surprised at how lackluster the Lions came out, and all credit to Calgary for taking advantage of it. But uh, that was the most puzzling game of the week for me. What about you? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was hard to believe that was the score actually at the time of the game, that the game was happening. And, and I was in conversation with some of the writers, uh, players as well. And they were saying, listen, man, we just want to have a chance to get into the playoffs. And they knew that they needed BC to win as well. It would have been a better. They would have had a better chance, of course. And so it was absolutely frustrating. And like you mentioned, BC is a team that typically forces turnovers. Um, you know, creates turnovers for them. And um, Vernon Adams, for the most part this season, has always been able to find the uh, a receiver and uh, uh, has a big game. And this time in particular, he didn't. And so it was interesting to hear the comments of Coach uh, Campbell at, 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 when he was interviewed at halftime when he was saying basically, well, no, we're, we're taking VA out. And uh, he's not injured, but uh, we're going to give Dane Evans a chance to win. And so... This was a meaningful game. This is a game that potentially gives you a chance to have a bye week. And that is huge at this stage in the season to have that opportunity. And now it's it was almost like, well, do you is that a vote of confidence for Dane Evans? Does that kind of is that a hit on Vernon Adams? Um, you know, season, what does that mean? So it was a little confusing to me as well, uh, DB. But at the end of the day, look, the BC Lions did not do enough um, and had some very unfortunate turnovers at crucial times in, in, in particular places closer to their end zone. And uh, Calgary Stampeders this time took advantage. This is why that move was really puzzling for me. And he put it out there. It's not a health concern. Exactly. Which almost then answers a question, but then leads to more questions. Well, do you not have confidence in him to be able to drive your team back? You clearly want to win the game. You said you're going after the game, but why would you go after the game with the person that is deemed your backup? You might see this team again. And in fact, because Saskatchewan lost the next day to Toronto, you are going to see the team again in the same place. And so... Whether it is for confidence in your own squad or taking away any shadow of doubt in that other locker room that you can beat us, this now opens to me a Pandora's box of the fact that you, you didn't have confidence in your starter or, or you, you thought the game was so out of reach that you were essentially punting the game away to a team that you're going to have to play again. And he did say this, and I quote, we need VA to be a hero in the playoffs. Hello, this is a great opportunity to do so. And by the way, when they do see each other again in the playoffs, which they will, what happens if the first half 
is exactly what happened in the previous game. Are you pulling VA? Are you putting in Dane Evans? And the bottom line is just this, DB. If you're VA, if you're Dane Evans, you can't turn the ball over the way that they did and turn the ball over on special teams and not be as productive except for Mr. Betts himself, which we have to mention, has this, the, the record for the most amount of sacks in a, in a regular season by the uh, Canadian uh, player. So that was a bright spot, but you cannot be – uh, you cannot have zero production on offense and, and have that many turnovers and expect to win, and regardless it was, of who you're playing. It was halftime. Yes. It wasn't the beginning of the fourth quarter or midway through the third. It was halftime. There was so much football left to be played. We talked about turnovers. We got to uh, shout out Jake Mayer because we have critiqued his play. Three consecutive games without a turnover. Not necessarily pushing the ball down the field, but he's not making the mistakes he's making earlier it's almost as if whether it's his discretion or the coaching staff's guidance saying let's not forget we have talent you don't have to be our hero you don't have to necessarily win it for us we have the run game that's firing on all cylinders the defense is coming oh we got to uh, we got to make sure that you don't necessarily put us in a bad spot absolutely hey, listen Calgary Stampeders, they came, they saw, they conquered. This is what they needed to do. We always talk about it. You mentioned it already. End of the season, going into the playoffs, you want to play your best football. And to me, DB, that was the best I've seen the Calgary Stampeders play this season. Running game was effective. You talk about having Reggie Begleton back. You had a receiving core that was making plays for their quarterback. And a quarterback... That was not making mistakes as he had done all this all season long. So shout out to the Calgary Stampeders and all the best in the playoffs. And shout out to Dave Dickinson, who still does not know what it's like to <laughs> miss. Eighteen? Uh, How many years is that? In? Eighteen straight for that's the awesome. Stamps. Uh, Toronto obviously is going back to the postseason. I feel like we've known that for eighteen weeks. They finished the year on a high, beating the Riders in Mosaic twenty-nine to twenty-six. Eliminate the Riders. Chad Kelly though. Rolls his ankle uh, in a play where, you know, looks like there's put a little sauce on that uh, tug of the ankle, gave a little bit of extra, a little roll on it, literally. Uh, Dukes comes in, plays well. Uh, what was the plan going in? Was it for Dukes to get some time, or was it because Chad Kelly was, you know, a little swole on the ankle, and he was actually fired up about the fact that, that was, you know, in his mind, a, a dirty play. And you know how quarterbacks, and really everyone in the game now, is about people around their legs. Was Dukes always going to be part of the script and play? Or was that because, you know, Chad was banged up and he didn't want to risk it? I mean, at this stage in the season, you want to continue to have your guys still maybe have some reps, but not necessarily play the whole game, specifically dealing with the situation that we are in Toronto. We've been dealing with for the last, what, four or five weeks already. And so, yes, Cam Dukes was um, supposed to have a, a, a chance at playing. And uh, it was just a matter of when Coach Dinwiddie was going to call his number. And obviously, that's always a good you know, reason to do so when uh, Chad had a little tweak. And, uh, you know, Cam Dukes came on, but boy, did he have a game. I mean, it was it was extremely exciting. And I was so happy to see him play, because if you look at Chad Kelly and how he became who he is, one of the reasons is because 
the team has a lot of confidence in him and had confidence in him since the last year, the biggest game in the season. He comes in at the end of the game and came clutch and performed to the best of his ability and allowed us to win a game that, you know, we'll never forget. And Cam Dukes right now reminds me of young Chad Kelly. And I mean, Chad's still young, but a younger Chad Kelly when he had a chance to come in and uh, he did what he needed to do. I mean, threading needles and finding guys and remaining calm uh, in a game that didn't matter to us, but it really mattered because we wanted to see what he was going to do in a situation that he was in and hostile territory again. And uh, for him to come out the way that he did, I mean, he's doing a good job of showing not just the Toronto Argonauts, that the whole league, he's showing the whole league that, you know, he's a baller. Had some backups around him. You had Dan the Man in the backfield. It's Sandani uh, making some plays as well. But you had starters in to start because they're chasing some yardage markers. Where there was a thousand yards for some of the receivers, like Tavares Daniels, or a thousand yards on, on the ground, uh, or you know, Chad Kelly, you know, get into four thousand. You know, my fear with that scenario is when you're chasing it, one, you're exposing yourself to potential injury for something that ultimately, if you don't end up with a trophy, no one's really going to remember. If you got some incentives in your contract, then I get it, you got to put food on the table. But I also feel like when you know guys are in there to get those numbers and then get out, you start playing the game differently. You start changing the way you look at the read progressions because, man, I got to get to Bear Stadium. It was a catch. I got to get him a catch. And, you know, he was banged up. There was a couple times it took him a while to get back up uh, from some hits. You know, that's my parental uh, fear looking at the team from the outside looking in. Uh, but I also understand the other side of it where you run stairs and lift weights, like not to sit and watch. You do it because you want to play. You want to exert your dominance and get return on investment of all that you've done in the offseason personally within uh, the context of the team goals what's that conversation like you know in the locker room at the player level and then how does that relate to what the coaches actually decide to do a hundred percent not just the Toronto Argonauts but pretty much every player in, in, in across the league at this stage in the season especially if you're getting close to if you're running back close to uh, a, a 1k and if you're a defensive player you're close to 100 tackles hey coach man put me in at least give me a half give me a quarter i want to give it get a chance to get that milestone and so yes absolutely that conversation is had um you know the players typically will have that conversation with the coach hey coach man i'm going to need some uh, a little bit of time and i'm really close to this and so some coaches a lot of the times you know We'll play, call plays to kind of get these their players to get that milestone. It's an accomplishment for a lot of the guys. And like you mentioned, that risk, to be honest with you, when you think about it, the risk is always there throughout the regular season and in the playoffs. It's always going to be there. But um, that milestone is always good to have. Now, look, I'm different. I, I remember yeah, maybe young and, and, and hungry Enoch always wanted to kind of get that milestone, get that 100th tackle and get that interception or whatever it might be, whether it's for, you know, the incentive or just for the milestone, for milestone state, uh, sake. But at the end of the day, I was talking to D.D., DeVaris Daniels, all season long, especially when we got close to the end of the season. And we had a conversation multiple times, him and, Andy, and A.J. I said, guys, can you guys just rest for the playoffs? Can you just wait? You know, it's not that... 
No, they really wanted to play, not just for the milestone, but these guys are the guys, the kind of guys that, and we have a lot of those in our locker room, and that's one of the reasons why I think we're having the success that we have, uh, DB. These guys wanted to play because they were saying, I don't want to miss too much time off the field because I want to feel like I'm still playing at the level that I know I can once the playoffs come around. And so it's a battle between front office, head uh, coaching staff, as well as players. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, clearly, Lavar's Daniels, you know, AJ uh, Ouellette got an opportunity to get their 1K, and they did. At the end of the game, you talk about how slow DeVars Daniels was getting up. I asked him, did he, was it worth it? He said, yes, it was. Was he short of breath when he said it? He definitely was. He definitely was. It was definitely sore as well. So, it, you know, as I get further and further removed from playing, I view the game more like a coach or a GM when I'm watching and thinking these things. But I do have to tap in to – my experience and my memories playing because I think what the average fan doesn't understand because you just come home after a hard day, you sit on the couch, the games are on TV, and that is your next three, four hours. For these players, game day is their favorite day of the week. That's right. So you get paid as a player for all the other days. Game day is free. Game day is the day you get. The, the, the preparation is a difficult part. The practice is a difficult part. You look forward to T-minus two days, T-minus one, game day. That's your favorite day of the week. So when you rob that, when you take that away, in, in the case of the Argos, we take that away for like two months, That's that sucks. So, and, and, you know, that next game day is never necessarily promised. The next year in the league is never necessarily promised. And, it's a long off season between seasons, so you really get up for those eighteen. You know, you'll have at least one more in the postseason, but you get up for those days. And I think you got to put yourself empathetically in their shoes and understand that, like, yeah, man, this is this is what I'm looking forward to. This is what I'm doing everything for all the time. You want to have some again return on investment. What's nice is there's a bunch of guys, whether it's practice roster guys or depth guys who are just on specials who don't get the same level of return on investment throughout the year because of the team success. They're starting to get it in big spots down the stretch. Which brings me to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, mm. who are just like, no, everybody's playing? Like Adam Big Hill's out here laying people out, getting super hyped. I love the fact that they played Brady Oliveira and Nick Dembski because they both got to 100 milestones, too. They got their milestones, historical. First time, two Canadians on the same team have done it, you know, for a running back and receiver. Not only are these guys Canadians on the same team, they're from that province, they're from that city, and they went to the same damn high school. Like, to me, that is wild. So, so kudos to the entire Manitoba football infrastructure that has raised them. And when we're talking about Hall of Fame bus, those two will potentially have to get in line from another guy who went to that high school in Andrew Harris. That's right. They're not even the best football player from their high school. And they've done something historical. So shout out to them. Having said that, why the hell were the Winnipeg Blue Bombers playing everybody when they knew to start that game that they had already wrapped up the one seed? Yeah. I mean, the the idea is you still want to feel knowing how that feels to still lay a hit, knowing that you got a week off coming up. And so 
Um, it is a gamble, but some would say, some coaches would say, sometimes you got to realize too, coaches have this way of thinking where they've done something one time and they hurt them, they will never forget it. And, I, and um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that Coach O'Shea once in the past has sat his guys and, um, you know, paid the consequences when that playoff game finally came. And so he's, I'm sure he's remembering that. And, uh, you know, some coaches will absolutely always remember these things that stung them and, um, you know, let it happen this way. And so they played all their guys knowing that they have a bye week and uh, they'll be able to come back and play at uh, the, in the best way that they can regarding health. Adam Big Hill, not the only person laying people out this week. Real great defensive performances across the board. So that lets me wonder, who is your dog of the week? Gotta get a yeah, dog! Yeah, dog! Gotta get a yeah, dog! Yeah, dog! That's right, last week, dog of the week was a special teamer pulling a Steph Curry for... <laughs> A, uh, a game-winning field goal by Sean White. But this week, I'm going with a defensive guy, DB. Going with the defensive guy on a team that we just talked about has been playing their best football. A defensive guy who his quarterback actually called him offensive player of the year or offensive player of the game because of the production that he was having, having his hands on the ball, turning the ball over. I'm talking about Cam Judge. This mm -hmm. guy is filling up all the stat sheets, DB. Dog of the week is... Cam, jaw, judge. Well, force fumble. Yeah. Interception. Yeah. Three interceptions. Interception in the last three games. Wow. Turnovers in the last three games through the roof. Nine tackles previous week. Five ta uh, six tackles this past week. Fifteen in the last two games. DB. He's filling up the stat sheet from tackles to force fumbles to interception. He's creating turnovers, giving his offense his offense opportunity to score as well. Dog of the week this week for being so productive is Cam Judge, former teammate of yours. That's right. Jake Mayer gave him a shout out in the game ball as their offensive player. That's right of the game because he's been so prolific. Well, guess what? We leveled it up. He is now your dog. dog. So I talked earlier about my fond but long ago memories of being a player. And one of the things that I missed out on but I wish was the case when I was playing was we thought about being mentally sharp and ready. At the time, that was just watching more film, getting into your playbook. It wasn't prioritizing the mental health aspect of being an athlete or just being a person, and that's what the players now are doing, which I take inspiration from. But even though I'm not an athlete, I try to implement that into my everyday life. And you can see how I and others are doing that with the hashtag Great Cup Ready, presented by London Drugs Initiative. What we're doing is we're encouraging fans to join the conversation, share how they get hashtag Great Cup Ready. All you got to do is head to cfl.ca slash get dash Great Cup Ready to vote for your favorite personality, me. <laughs> vote for the routine and enter for a chance to win a trip for two to the 110th Grey Cup. I know Riders fans, you thought your team was going to be there. Well, they're not. But you could be there in the flesh. All you have to do is show us how you get Grey Cup ready and go on the site, see how we get Grey Cup ready. Because for me, 
you know, whether it's the mindfulness, the meditation, uh, being out in nature, supporting the local community, so many things I wish I did when I was an athlete. And so I'm inspired by the current athletes getting Grey Cup ready. You should do the same. Speaking of getting ready for the run to the Grey Cup, that is exactly what the teams in our CFL Pick'em presented by Old Dutch Marquee Matchup are doing. That would be Hamilton and Montreal, a preview to a postseason matchup. If you're not already playing Pick'em, head to gamezone.cfl.ca and make your weekly picks. Even though this is our Saturday game, let's start here because it's, in fact, a really big one and the most interesting one by far. Both teams are coming off a bye, so they're rested and ready. These two teams will be right back on the same field one week later for the Eastern semifinals. So we get a little dress rehearsal. So now if you're Jason Moss or Orlando Steinhauer, both, I want to mention, head coaches who have playing experience, both head coaches who have experience hoisting the Grey Cup themselves. That's right. What's your mentality going into this week of games? Do you want to send a message to the opposition for the playoffs? Do you want to put some stuff on tape, some tendency breakers maybe, to give them more to prepare for? Are you being vanilla? Are you showing nothing that isn't already on tape thus far? Are you resting your main guys? And from a Hamilton perspective, what do you do at the QB Let's start because I asked you like 17 questions. 17. <laughs> What's your mentality if you're head coach going into this game? Man, listen, I'm I'm going vanilla, DB. Mm. I'm going vanilla because I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks anyways in the game that truly matters. I'm going vanilla, but at the same time, I'm going to show you a few things that you have to think about, a few things that you're going to have to work on when you're watching film and preparing for me next week just to kind of – make you spend some more time. I might show you a couple of double reverses, a flea flicker here and there, just to make you think, hey, just think about this as well. Send my, my DBs and blitz them a couple of times just to say, hey, look, uh, that quarterback is not going to be comfortable when the playoff game comes around. And so, yes, you go vanilla for the most part. And um, I want to show you a few things as well to make you spend some time. So I'm running my base offense and I'm making no adjustments because <laughs> any adjustment that I would make in-game, when you see an offensive play caller or a defensive play caller with a pencil in their ear or a Sharpie, Mark Tressman was always writing those, you're writing that down. Okay, it was play 34. We, they, they actually, when we motioned, they didn't, they didn't shift at all. You're, the backside fake, no one came with the quarterback. You're making all of those notes to then implement them in your plan next week and hopefully in what you execute now that's in terms of what you show what you do maybe you're not doing the exotic blitzes defensively right because you want to catch them off guard with them however who do you play are you resting guys or are you playing essentially to win in terms of what your best and available too deep is i i think um i'm playing I mean, you can't rest everybody, but I'm resting most of my main guys. I'm going to let them play maybe a few snaps, maybe a quarter, and let my, my backups, my twos, my threes get some experience and play in that game because who knows, we might need them at some point next week. But for the most part, I'm not playing a lot of my guys, and I don't care if you're close to a milestone. we got a bigger game coming ahead. <laughs> so I, I, I tend to agree. 
mainly on health. If you're questionable, there's not a question. You know, Ty goes to the runner, you're sitting. But I'm actually at the beginning of the week saying, you know what? You, 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 and you, you, you guys are on the bubble. And you are going to be featured this week. Go and prove to me why you need to be on this postseason roster. Go earn your postseason paycheck. Because then there's a level of competition that still is happening throughout the week. And you know it's a brotherhood. Other guys are going to be like, oh, we, we got to play well for this guy. we got to put him in a position to succeed because this is going to be big for him. So that's how I would attack that. Hamilton has a massive question in terms of who is and is not playing your quarterbacks. He's been playing too. Two who have struggled to remain healthy over the last couple of years and this season. What are you doing in terms of your utilization of your quarterbacks for Hamilton? Hamilton cats are in a very uh, interesting situation with their quarterbacks, right? Because, look, they've had a guy in, in, in Schultz who didn't play the whole season but has contributed throughout the season uh, whenever he was healthy, was helping the team tremendously. Obviously, Bo Levi Mitchell, who was the poster child, who was the guy who was supposed to take him to the promised land at home and play um, the, in the Grey Cup, obviously had some injuries. Now, the last few games or two games, he's had an opportunity to start. So clearly, they've made their decision. This is going to be Bo Levi starting. In my opinion, that's what I see. It's going to be Bo Levi Mitchell who's starting the game. Um, but having both guys, especially in this game, I'd go a status quo. I'd go exactly how I did last week and let you guess what I'm going to do in, playoff, in the actual playoff game. But I would start, uh, at least that's what I'm expecting from Montreal Alouettes. I'm, I'm expecting to see Bo Levi Mitchell start the game and then finally see Shields to finish it off. But as a Hamilton Tiger Cats, you want to put Bo Levi there one more time just to make sure he has a good feel. Because at the end of the game, at the end of the day, look, when you play football, you want to know what it feels like to get hit. You want to know what it feels like to uh, not just take a hit, but give a hit as well. And then as a quarterback, you want to be able to have the timing with your deep, with your offensive uh, players, with your receivers. Uh, you know, what's my offensive line like? How do they block? How much time do I really have in the pocket? And so he needs to be in there to feel that because clearly, in my opinion, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are going with him as a starter. And um, what, I'm, what I foresee – in the playoff game, if Bo Levi continues to progress and continues to produce, they are going with him the whole game. Yeah, no, can't do it. Taylor Power, go have yourself a day, my guy. Listen, Bo Levi Mitchell knows what it's like to be hit. He knows too well. My guy has been on the six-game injury list twice in an 18-game season. So I need to get to the finish line with him upright and as healthy as much as possible. And the same goes for Schultz because he's one play away you get the timing and the reps. You'll get them all week in practice. You can get one reps all week. Sorry, that sucks for you, pal. You're going to still get three reps, but that's the way life goes. Playing two and a half or three quarters of this game is not going to improve his timing with his receivers that much at this point. I don't believe. So I want to make sure I get to the finish line with those guys healthy. Remember, this guy is on big money. And the Great Cup this year is where? It is in Hamilton, but DB, you got to remember this. Take into consideration, yes, we know what Bolivar has done. We know Bolivar is a future Hall of Fame. We know all of that, but he's on a new team in the first year on a new team. Chemistry matters. It absolutely matters. You can say all you want about practices. 
need to see it happen on the field in order for me to also have the same confident level, confidence level when we go into the playoff game. What's, what's the chemistry going to be like when he's at McMaster Hospital getting some X-rays? That's not going to happen. What, what do you mean it's not going to happen? You're going to avoid that, absolutely. I mean, what if it happens in the, in the day of playoff game? Because it's clearly already happened, but I need you to have chemistry going into the playoff game. If it, hap- my, if my it happens in the playoff game, the season's over anyways. I mean, so then you have Schultz. Okay, but but you're trying to get to the playoffs with the most optimal chance to win. Let's, let's look at the two injuries he had. Non-contact, rolling, throwing, and a QB sneak to end the game. Like... We need to literally bubble wrap him and get him to the postseason. I mean, if you're looking at him from that perspective, why did we sign you then? Why did we take you? Why, why did we bring you? I don't have a time to me. I don't have a time machine. We, 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 you, want, you want to know why we signed you're you? You're saying we already got we, you here and we, we're seeing that you're, 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 you're I, like glass right now? I, 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 well, if, if you were going to tell them you're going to pay this money and you're going to get four games, five games, then the conversation would be different. But... But that's life. You drive a car off the lot, you could get hit at the first intersection, and the value of that car goes down. That's the way life goes. But to, to answer your question, why do we sign him? For this time of year, right now. This is why we signed him. So to do anything that jeopardizes him running out of the tunnel without a limp in the first playoff game, to me, would be malpractice. There's zero chance I'm letting this man take a snap. Maybe I'm not letting him take a QB sneak at the end of the game again. I've learned my lesson, but at well, the you're, end you're, of the day, you're gonna stop him from rolling right and pulling his groin. No, 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 no. At the end of the day, to me, when you're looking at the the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Bo Levi Mitchell situation, I'm letting him go because I want him to continue to develop. The little bit of time that I that we have left in this season, I want you to continue to develop that chemistry because chemistry, in my opinion, is one of the main reasons why they're in the in the situation that they are right now. They, the lack of chemistry at the beginning of the season, Bo Levi being on a new team with a new system, with new co- receivers, he had to develop that, and he never really got the chance to do so. One of the reasons why they're in this situation is because this guy wasn't healthy all year. That's right. But the beginning, he played, what, the first two games of the season before he got his first injury? That's right. It happened at BMO Field. He did not have the chemistry for, that I've seen him have with his past receivers, obviously being in Calgary for the longest time. I hope anyone who's has you on the board as a assistant GM, GM, defensive coordinator is not listening to this. I hope they didn't listen to your take about knocking the ball down and, and instead of the, <laughs> trying to intercept, if they're not listening. So let me just actually put this in terms that will make it very crystal clear. Mm-hmm. If your livelihood depends on the Hamilton Tiger Cats winning, let's just say a postseason game, one solitary postseason game, and you're in this situation, we're putting all the chips in the middle of the table. Your, your entire salary depends on it. You got to go home to Jess and your beautiful children. And you're going to say, you know what? It was this meaningless game. It's not going to change anything other than the final statistics of individual stats. But I'm cool. Go ahead and, and have those... 275-pound, four, four, five guys run at you for three hours. You are comfortable putting all the chips in the table, your entire salary in the, in the middle of the table with a playoff game essentially in the balance. 
You're comfortable doing that. I absolutely am comfortable, oh DB. It's happening in the next week. And if you're not able to take handle that this week, what makes you say that it's going to happen next week? And so I'm putting Bo Levi Mitchell. But here's the other caveat as well, DB, is that what is Coach O going to do with the receiver? I'm talking Tim White. I'm talking to all the other guy, uh, contributors uh, uh, as well. I'm playing. The, I'm going to give them some time on the field. But as little, as little time as I'm giving them is the same amount of time that I'm giving Bo Levi Mitchell on the field so he can develop, again, that chemistry that I think is absolutely vital for them going forward. So Canada, producer Pete, normally when I ask that theoretical question, the stakes are your family has been kidnapped. But I didn't trust Enoch to actually have any sense and to not risk his marriage when his wife saw this clip. When it pays dividends, then we see. That's a, But the, the risk is too great relative to the reward. Listen, to you're, me, you're acting like if he sits, it, 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 it can't pay dividends. It, I mean, it, it's not going to pay the same amount of dividends that it will if he does get that chemistry level increased by with a little bit of time, like I said, that they're going to have together. Now, you're going to see Powell for sure this game, but you, you will see Bolivar, you will see Matthew Schultz. Canada, I tried. <laughs> Jess, one my family. I, I tried. <laughs> Uh, let's try this. You said earlier mm -hmm. you want to see the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Now, based off of what has transpired, who do you want to see? It doesn't really matter, but I would like to see the Tiger Cats and win a game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats at BMO Field just to make, you know, some Tiger Cats fast. Because these guys, these guys are, are a little obnoxious. You see them all the time, everywhere, always talking. Tie cats this, tie cats that. Everywhere I go, oh, yeah, I was at an event last night. Oh, yeah, I'm a Hamilton Tiger Cats fan. You know, we're going to see you guys in the play. Listen, that's one of the reasons why. I want to see Tiger Cats again. There's a story, again, I've mentioned this before, that you told me that I, I cannot have you tell until after <laughs> you get to the Great Cup. But in the event that you do, we are going to tell that story. But I don't <laughs> want to jinx it. Which one? Jinx it. Give me a hit. I, I just I don't even want to put it out. There. I've told you a lot of off-air stories now. Anyway, it's not that bad. I just don't I just don't want to. Check. All right, it's about all right, the let's smack talk that's been uh, said between Yargos Ooh. and the Thai Cats. All right, all right. And, all right. A, and a promise that was okay. made. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about okay. now? I do remember. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, speaking of those two QBs, they offer different things defensively. Which one creates more of a problem? That's a really good question, and. Bo Levi, in his at his best, obviously creates the most problem because when you see Bo Levi at his best, he's in that pocket. He's hitting um, at all his receivers on time and at where he needs to get them. Bo Levi is probably, obviously, the more experienced quarterback out of the two, and clearly they're going with him going forward. But Matthew Shields present different problems as well. And so I'm going with Bo Levi first, but at the same time, if I'm seeing Bo Levi struggle, throwing him in. So Calgary and Winnipeg also face off this week. Not much to play for at all for the Bombers. Stamps certainly want to keep the good times rolling and keep that confidence and maybe convince themselves that they're good. Brady Oliveira is two yards away from 1,500 rushing, 20 yards from 20K all-purpose. 2K. Is he playing? Oh, come on, Sorry, Coach. 20 yards from 2,000, okay. all-purpose. Coach O'Shea, let him get that. 
Let him get that. You never know how close he'll get there in the future. Let him get it. All right. There you have it. The, let him get it. Then get him out. Uh, Toronto, Ottawa, regular season finale. This will be the Cam Dukes Invitational, I assume, uh, because he's one way, he's one play away from being in the same situation as you mentioned as Chad Curry, as Chad Kelly earlier. The Argos get a bye after this, so you know you're waiting for Montreal or Hamilton at Eastern in the Eastern final. Do you think we see any of the big dogs playing for the Argos? I don't see that happening. Uh, I, I think Chad is probably going to rest, and I have not discussed this with Coach Dinwiddie, so take it from me. I don't think Chad is going to play much. Cam Dukes and B. Scott are probably going to take both of the, the snaps at quarterback, and, and I don't foresee having, uh, you know, seeing all of our big dogs uh, across the board. This is a for-the-love-of-the-game game. A lot of guys putting stuff on tape, whether it's futures with that organization or future organizations. So still will be a highly contested football game. Just maybe not the players you saw the last time the Argos and the Red Blacks did battle. Either way, we're going to be breaking it down for you right here on The Waggle. Subscribe to our YouTube for the podcast clips. Listen on Spotify and Apple and share with your friends and make sure you're giving Dave Naylor a follow. He was so gracious with his time with us here today. So follow him on Twitter. One of the best CFL newsbreakers around the league. Lots of news to come. So continue to listen to The Waggle.